Hi YouTube, it's Joshua Miles, welcome back to my channel. Today's video is going to be yet another solved case for my Curious Case series. I hope everybody is staying safe and well during this time of unease and unrest. We'll be out the other side of this before you know it. Everything is temporary. This right now that's going on this is temporary too um so long as everyone follows the advice given by medical professionals we will be able to get through this together a few of you guys helped me tremendously with this video with translations um so i just want to be sure to give a massive thank you and shout out to those people be sure to leave them some love down in the comment section because they really helped me figure out this case i'm also going to just put them on screen now and in the comment section i honestly wouldn't have been able to film this video without them. Before we delve into this video, I'd just like to give a massive thank you to House Party for sponsoring today's video. As I'm sure you're all aware, the current isolation situation has meant that socialising with our loved ones has become increasingly difficult, with many of us resorting to video calling as a means of contact. Before the people at House Party reached out to me to work with me on today's video, I was already using their service to keep in contact with my friends and family. The app is available for free on both Android and and iOS and it's even available on your computer with the Google Chrome extension and it allows you to call a lot of people at once so you can call your entire family your entire friend group so you can catch up and check in on them the app also allows you to play games with your friends the game my friends and I usually play is the guess what I'm drawing game and honestly my artistic skills are lacking but it's still a lot of fun and it's a really good way to hang out uh, with your friends. You can find a link to download House Party at the top of the description and in the pinned comments. And with all that being said, let's delve right into this case. On Wednesday the 15th of April 2015, nine-year-old Chloe Ansel was playing in the playground opposite her house in Petit Courgon, Calais, France. She was enjoying playing with her friends in the playground before she was set to go to a dance lesson at 4pm. At 2.31pm that Wednesday afternoon, Chloe's mother Isabel Hyatt uploaded to Facebook a photo of Chloe at the playground with the caption, Chloe prête pour aller à la danse, which translates more or less to Chloe's ready to go to dance. Though not even three hours later, the abused remains of Chloe Ansel would be found in a forest in Calais, and in a case, a heartbreaking case, of how a mother witnessed the kidnapping of her own child. Let's discuss the case of Chloe Ansel. Chloe Mateen Isabel Lietta Ansel was born on the 4th of April 2006 in Calais, France, to parents Isabel and David Ansel. She was absolutely adored by her parents and had the uncanny talent of getting what she wanted, which earned her the nickname of Little Dragon from her dad. Though she didn't let the stereotypical behaviours of a spoilt child 
rule her identity. She, she, she never lived up to that stereotype of being spoiled at all. In fact, she was quite the opposite from what I can tell. Chloe was very loving and very thoughtful of her family members and always helped out when she needed to. From what I can tell, she enjoyed the usual things that most nine-year-old girls enjoy. During March, Isabel began to let her daughter Chloe cross the road to go buy some ice cream from the ice cream truck. Though Isabel was always careful to watch Chloe from their kitchen window so she could keep an eye on her. The neighborhood that they lived in was deemed very, very safe and had an extremely low crime rate. But even so, as I say, Isabel would always watch Chloe from her kitchen window as Chloe went and bought the ice cream. Isabel is described by quite a few sources as being quite anxious about leaving the, her kids alone and leaving them to their own accord. But as every parent must, she knew that she had to give her children some breathing room um, and the independence and the responsibilities um, just so that they could start to grow up. And crossing the road to get some ice cream is a fairly harmless way um, for a child to, you know, start to grow up. Isabel's anxiety meant that Chloe never really went to get her ice cream alone. She was always being watched and monitored from afar. At the end of March, Chloe had a week-long school residential trip to Vorge Green Class, which is like a nature-based educational facility. Throughout her week on this school trip, she frequently made contacts with her family to make sure her siblings were doing well and to make sure family was good, just checking in. Chloe was the oldest of three children, having two younger siblings called Helena and Lucas. Sadly, when Chloe was seven years old, her parents separated, which led to Isabel moving with her three children to the popular northern district of Calais, Petit Corgon. The neighborhood primarily consisted of other young families and had the perfect amenities for Isabel to raise her children. The most convenient of those amenities was a playground, which was opposite their house, where Chloe and her friends and her siblings frequented. After Chloe had returned from her week away at the end of March, she embraced her family in floods of tears because she missed them so much and she had been really quite homesick. So she, she really loved being with her family. Fortunately, Chloe had returned from her trip just in time for her ninth birthday, which was on April 4th. Her mother Isabel filled the house with balloons and birthday celebrations, and she arranged for Chloe's best friend to come over for a sleepover. One of the presents that Chloe received on her birthday was a zipped tunic with black stars on, and she got that from her auntie. Unknowingly, less than a month later, this tunic would be what Chloe wore when she was laid to rest. But what exactly happened on that Wednesday, the 15th of April? Who had done this to Chloe and why? Let's go through the timeline of events that occurred that day. As we know, Chloe's mother posted a series of images on Facebook of her children playing on the playground, with most notably one of the last pictures of Chloe alive being posted at 2.31pm with the haunting caption, Chloe prêter pour aller à la danse. Her dance class was actually only a short journey away, just a short walk away, it was just a few minutes away. You can see in the picture of Chloe that she appears to be happy and is already wearing her black dance t-shirt, clearly very excited for her dance lessons. The family stayed in the playgrounds for about an hour and due to the hot weather that they were having that day, Chloe and a few of her friends decided that they would go grab some water guns to have a water fight. So they were just running around the playground squirting one another with water and having a good time. 
By the time 3.30pm came around half an hour before Chloe's dance lesson was due to start, Isabel realised that she should probably go up to her flat and grab some dry clothes and uh, Chloe's dancing gear uh, and also take up her other two children so that they could get change ready for the dance lessons too. There was another adult present at the playground that day, a neighbour, someone who Isabel knew pretty well. And I believe it was actually this neighbour's kid that Chloe was having a water gun fight with, but I couldn't confirm that. Leaving Chloe under the watchful eye of their neighbour, Isabel got Helena off of her pink scooter and Lucas from his bike and took them back to their home, which was just across the street. One particular source mentions that Isabel asked a second neighbour who was sitting in his garden to also keep an eye on Chloe and watch them in the playground, though I'm inclined to believe that this is just a a miscommunication and um, an error on the part of the articles or perhaps a translation error. I believe that there was only one person watching the children that day and it was the same neighbour. As we've discussed, Isabel's anxiety meant that she never left her children unattended or really out of her eyesight for very long at all. In fact, Isabel only spent about two or three minutes in her flat, quickly grabbing what she needed and changing her other two children into their uh, dancing gear or into some clothes that they could go to the dance class in uh, before she returned to the playground. While she was in her flat, she occasionally glanced out of the kitchen window in the direction of the playground to see Chloe still playing with her friends. However, when Isabel returned to the playground, in the span of just a few minutes, her entire life would be turned upside down. You see, while Isabel was popping up to the flat to get a few bits, and while Chloe was having this water gun fight with her friend, there had been a man in the playground that day. Somebody who wasn't this neighbour and somebody that Isabel didn't know. This man had been sitting in his car drinking beer. At some point in this short two minute span, the man got out of his car and walked closer to the playground where he was accidentally hit by a squirt of water from Chloe's water gun. This accident would sadly seal Chloe's fate. The stranger then grabbed Chloe and forced her into the back of his car, which was parked right by the playground. Chloe screamed and fought against the stranger, but it happened so quickly and it's, it, as you can imagine, it's easy for um, an adult male to overpower a nine-year-old girl. The stranger, after forcing Chloe into his car, then took off down the street. The neighbour who had been asked to watch Chloe and keep an eye on her stood in shock. Everything happened so quickly that they didn't even have time to react. Isabel came running to the playground to hear screams from this neighbour that Chloe had been taken. People had started coming out of their houses and flats when they heard a commotion. They heard the screams of Isabel and the neighbour and the little girl and together they all came together to start searching and hunting down the girl. Just around the corner, about 50 metres from the playground, a teenager who lived in the neighbourhood saw a bald man holding a little girl to the ground. He had his knee on her, pushing down on the young girl's body. The teenager would later describe that Chloe's legs were moving around, but Chloe wasn't screaming. The man yelled at the teenager, saying, go away or I'll shoot your face. Simultaneously to this, Chloe's mother Isabel ran around the corner and saw what was happening. The man then picked Chloe up in a 
chokehold an arm around her neck and threw her back into the car. The man presumably pulling over and getting Chloe out so that he can make her shut up. As Chloe was being thrown back into the car, one of her ballerina shoes fell off and fell to the ground. Isabel was too far away to get to Chloe on time and she ran towards them screaming out Chloe's name, which sadly yielded no response from the nine-year-old girl. She could only watch helpless as the red Seat car drove away. I can't even imagine being a parent and seeing that happen in front of my eyes and just being it just happening just just out of reach. Isabel took note of the description of the car and importantly she took note of the fact that the car had a Polish number plate. Word of the abduction had already hit Facebook and other social media sites with people sharing details of what Chloe was wearing and a description of the car she'd been taken in. A radio message was sent out to all the police officers in the area and in the greater surrounding area to come look for the car that, that was reported as being part in this abduction. And that radio message went out at 4.15pm, 45 minutes after Chloe was taken. When the police arrived, and in what is probably the most infuriating part of this case, they told Isabel that they were unable to trigger an abduction alert without the nine-year-old girl's father present without Chloe's dad there. As we discussed earlier, Isabel and David, Chloe's parents, were actually divorced and separated so they didn't live together. And unfortunately, David didn't live all too close to Isabel either. As soon as David learned of what had happened to Chloe, he immediately jumped on his motorbike and drove as quickly as possible to the police station, running red lights and breaking the speed limit as any dad would, though despite his best efforts, it still took him 25 minutes to get there. David arrived at the police station at 4.09pm, which is just over 35 minutes from when Chloe had been kidnapped. The police asked David for some official ID, something to prove he was who he said he was, but unfortunately David didn't have his um, passport, any actual solid ID on him, besides his vehicle res registration which was an issue for the police because it was against policy to accept that kind of registration um, before issuing the abduction alert. The officers hesitated and probably with both of the parents shouting fairly loudly at them, um, they, they finally accepted the identification and uh, began to process the request for the abduction alert. The child abduction alert system in France is very similar to the one in the United States, the US's Amber Alert system. When the abduction alert system in France is activated, a warning is distributed for three hours across TV channels, radio stations, news agencies, variable message signs on the highways, public places, over the intercom in stations and metro stations, on websites, across social media, and also on people's phones. The child abduction system in France has only actually ever been used eight times since its conception in 2006. It differs from the American Amber Alert system due to the conditions that have to be met in order to trigger it. In the United States, four conditions must be met. Law enforcement must confirm that an abduction had taken place, the child must be at risk of serious injury or death, there must be sufficient descriptive information of the child, captor or captures vehicle to issue an alert, the child must be under 17 years of age. 
But in France, there are five conditions that must be met. The removal, aka kidnapping, has to be proven, and it must be proven that it is, isn't just simply a runaway. The victim's life must be in danger. There must be pieces of information that uh, could be used to locate the child or suspect. The victim must be a minor. And most controversially in this case, the parents of the victim, both parents, have to have agreed to trigger the alerts. Due to the fact that the child abduction system in France had barely been used, just those eight times, it was quite a lengthy process for the documents to be signed and then approval to be given by higher-ups in order to trigger the alerts. About an hour and 15 minutes after that radio call was put out that I discussed earlier, um, at about 5 p.m., a breakthrough was made in this case. While driving around, a police officer found an empty red car with a Polish number plate on the back, and it was found at the back of a forest in Dubrel, which is in the north of Calais. The forest itself is fairly small, only being about 500 square meters big, and was actually surrounded by a group of peaceful and quiet houses. The police officer, upon discovering the car, decided to survey the scene and began to walk down a long, large path that led into the forest. And when that police officer did so, they were confronted with a scene of horror. Not even an hour and a half after Chloe had been taken, her remains were found in that forest. The abduction alert for Chloe's disappearance hadn't even been triggered by the police yet. Chloe had been discovered naked, with scratch marks all over her body and strangulation marks around her neck. Law enforcement scrambled to get to the scene so that they could find any clues that could lead to the perpetrator or anything else that could help aid them solve this case. They were able to take the license plate for the car, the red car found in the car park, um, which was Polish. They were able to take that and send that off to be compared against the Polish registration system so that they could try and figure out who owned the car. Though, as you can imagine, this process of international um, cooperation would take some time. Before the car registration could even be sent off, a Polish 38-year-old man was found drunk, uh, wandering around near the forest, and he was found at 6pm. He was immediately arrested on the suspicion of murder. The man was also made to take a blood alcohol test, which determined that he had 0.57 milligrams of ethanol per litre in his system. Just to put that into context, the drunk driving limit in France is 0.5 milligrams, which meant that he was above the legal limit and also showed that he was obviously drunk. Due to his intoxicated state, the police were unable to immediately question him when they brought him back to the police station, so they put him into a holding cell so that he could sober up before they could interrogate him. Meanwhile, a forensics team arrived at the scene of the crime so they could take any DNA evidence, which could then be used uh, later on in the trial for this case. Unfortunately, it was also determined in a preliminary test that Chloe had been sexually assaulted. At 9pm that same evening, Chloe's mother Isabel bravely went on national TV and addressed the nation. I can't imagine the strength and courage and bravery that it must take for Isabel to have gone on national TV to discuss what had happened, especially considering her child had been found deceased not four hours prior. The Polish man that had been arrested eventually sobered up and late into the night, uh, that same night, the police began their interviews with him and they began to interrogate him. And during those interrogations, the Polish man confessed to everything. But who exactly was this man? And did he actually just kill this child 
because she had accidentally sprayed water on him. The man was identified to be 38-year-old Zbigniew Huminski. Huminski had the exact life that you'd expect from a child murderer. He was born in 1977 in the Polish city of Warsaw and was the second-born child of a couple who had a very volatile relationship. His parents ultimately divorced when he was young. When he was a teenager, he would often skip school and there were several incidents of him acting violently in school which led to him being suspended a few times. Unable to finish his education, he jumped from part-time job to part-time job, working at one point on a construction site, so oftentimes committing petty theft and violent crimes. He quickly became known to the Polish justice system due to these violent crimes and thefts. For every theft he committed, including his last known theft in Warsaw in the year 2000, he blamed his tough financial situation for being the reason he was forced to steal as a means to survive. According to an article in Le Parisien, in the year 2000, Humensky went back and forth between Poland and France, and he ultimately settled in France. Following that, in 2003, he committed robbery with arms and a home invasion. He was convicted on both those crimes the following year in 2004. He was subsequently sent back to Poland and was imprisoned when he got back to his home country. I couldn't quite distinguish just how long he served in prison for these crimes, though what we do know is that he was released from prison in early 2009, and as soon as he was released, he went straight back to France. We would later find out that the reason that Huminski went back to France was that he had intended to cross the channel into London to go live with a family member um, though when he got to France he didn't have enough money to make the journey across the English Channel so he ended up just staying in France. Subsequently Humansky remained in the Calais area and due to his economical situation he continued to carry out um, theft and crime. Humensky actually intended at one point to join the French um, Foreign Legion, though he was unable to due to his criminal record. If you're unaware of what the French Foreign Legion is, according to their Wikipedia page, the French Foreign Legion is a military service branch of the French army that was established in 1831. Legionnaires are highly trained infantry soldiers, and the Legion is unique in the fact that it is open to foreign recruits willing to serve in the French army forces. This would mean that Huminski, if he hadn't got a criminal record, would have been eligible to serve in this foreign legion. Why exactly he wanted to join the French foreign legion, I can't say for sure. Um, maybe he just wanted to be part of the military, um, though again, I just, I just don't know. Humansky was then seen in the French criminal court in 2010 for a series of assaults. In one of his attacks, he had assaulted an elderly woman with a butcher's knife just so that he could steal 60 euros. In another, he broke into the bedroom of a nine-year-old girl through the skylight, and upon the mother um, of the girl hearing him come through into the house, he ran away. He claimed in court to have been intoxicated on both occasions. He was actually evaluated by a psychiatric expert who told the courts that he was an individual intolerant of frustration 
immature and a lack of self-esteem. He was also found to be very likely to commit a, another violent crime if he wasn't imprisoned. Some sources also claim that he was diagnosed as a psychopath. As a result of his assault crimes, on the 30th of March 2010, he was sentenced to six years in prison and banned from ever returning to France. Humansky only served four years of that uh, sentence in French prison before being sent back to Poland. And he was sent back in spring of 2014. The Polish authorities wanted to sentence him for some burglaries that he committed in the year 2000. And so he served in uh, Polish prison a further year for those uh, crimes and he was released in spring of 2015. The reason that the French were able to send Humansky back to Poland was because that Poland had issued a EAW or a European arrest warrant. If you're unaware of what a European arrest warrant is, I have discussed it before on this channel, but according to the Wikipedia page on it, the European arrest warrant or EAW is an arrest warrant valid throughout all member states of the European Union. Once issued, it requires another member state to arrest and transfer a criminal suspect or sentence person to the issuing state so that the person can be put on trial or complete a detention period. An EAW can only be issued for the purposes of conducting a criminal prosecution, not merely an investigation, or enforcing a custodial sentence. According to the officials in the Warsaw Regional Court, there was nothing to suggest that Humansky was going to act violently again during his incarceration there, and it was deemed that he was no longer a threat to society. Humansky, following his release, travelled back to France, despite being banned on the 15th of April 2015, the day of the murder. If you're an EU citizen, you'll be aware of just how easy it is to go from one member state to another member state. I know from personal experience it can be as easy as just flashing your passport at border control whilst just walking through. So I'm not I'm not entirely surprised that Humansky was able to go across the border uh, into France. Um, it's also important to note that there isn't border control across the entire border, so it's pretty easy to get through over land if you were driving, and in this case, Humansky was driving in a car. He was actually spotted that day in a red Seat with a foreign number plate by a resident who lived in the same area as Chloe. They just presumed his car to probably be of Belgium origin and presume nothing more of it. It's also important to note the context of Calais. It is where you uh, get the Euro tunnel to get to um, England, uh, on to go underneath the English Channel. Um, I've been there many times to pass through France. It is um, a major hub to connect mainland Europe to the UK, so it really, really wouldn't have been uncommon for a foreign car to have been there or anything out of the ordinary. Apparently, Humansky had come to Calais and just like before with the intention of travelling to London to go live with a family member, though this time he had only stopped in Calais to fill up his car with petrol before continuing on his journey. I'm not sure whether he had um, voyage tickets uh, to go on the ferries or to go on the Eurotunnel uh, to get to London. I'm not sure whether he did have that or not, or whether he was intending to buy a ticket when he got there, which is oftentimes the case, or anything like that. I'm not sure how he was planning to get across, but this is what he told the investigators in his confession. Humansky was seen that fateful day just 500 meters away from the playground, filling up a car at the gas station. He was then also seen drinking beer while sat behind the wheel of his car, just moments before Chloe was abducted. At some point, he had decided to get out the car and 
go closer to the playground where he accidentally got hit by a spray of water from Chloe's water gun and then violently abducted her and murdered her. The day after Humansky was arrested, he was indicted for abduction, kidnap, rape, and murder. It took almost two years for the trial in this case to take place, with the first trial date set to take place on the 11th of September, 2017. Humansky had been kept in solitary confinement since his arrest. However, unfortunately for Chloe's family, true justice wouldn't be found in this case. On the 15th of May 2017, at 7.30pm, Humansky was found hanged in his cell. This would mean that Humansky would never look Chloe's family in the eye, he would never provide answers to Chloe's family's desperate questions, and he would never be truly tried um, under law. Justice would never be found in the eyes of the law. He would never be condemned for his actions. How Humansky was able to hang himself while in solitary confinement with regular patrols um, checking on the inmates um, is a question that Chloe's family still asks to this day and a lot of the general public asks to this day. How was he able to do that? Fortunately, the French people never forgot and they stood with Chloe's family through all this pain and trauma. The day after the murder, on the 16th of April 2015, a white march took place which involved over 5,000 people marching all donned in white and in silence in Chloe's memory an act of public support and an act of public mourning. Two days later, on the 18th of April, a second white march took place to show even more support for Chloe's family. According to Wikipedia, Miss France 2015 took part in this second white march. The playground where Chloe was abducted was lined with white roses, children's drawings and poetry. On the 25th of April, people came together to hold a white balloon release in memory of Chloe. On the day of Chloe's funeral, the mayor of Calais declares that the playground should be turned into a place of rest and into a memorial for Chloe. It seems clear to me and it must seem clear to you too watching this video and learning about this case that Humansky was pure evil. It breaks my heart that Chloe's family can never find justice under law in this case, but I hope that Humansky's death gives them some kind of justice in some way. Let me know what you think about this case in the comment section down below, and that's everything that I have for you in today's video. Again, a thank you to those lovely people who helped me with translations and pronunciations in this video. I appreciate you and I love you very, very much. Be sure to give them support in the comments down below too. I'm trying to get more videos out um, as frequently as possible, though right now my entire family, as with many people in the world right now, my entire family's come home. Um, so there's six people in this house right now, which as you can imagine is very noisy and loud, which makes it very difficult to film, um, but I am trying to uh, get more and more content out for you. I hope everybody is staying safe and well and that everybody is nice down in the comment section down below um, because positivity is what we all really need right now. Again, a massive thank you to House Party for working with me on today's video. Be sure to download the app by clicking the link at the top of the description or in the pinned comments so that you can easily keep in touch with your friends and family. 
Don't forget to jump over to Instagram and Twitter to follow me over there. Um, I post updates on when I'm posting videos and um, ask for help with translations and also just tweet about my day-to-day -day life. Um, so <laughs> if you want to go see me unfiltered, um, then be sure to jump over to those two platforms. Don't forget to subscribe to this channel and hit that bell icon so you can be notified every single time that I post a brand new true crime video. Also, be sure to check out my true crime podcast, Crime Time. There's a link in the description. If you didn't see my last video discussing the hidden cults within a Kanye West video game, then be sure to click the link in the iCards and go check that one out because uh, that case is really interesting. Me and my friend did a massive, massive deep dive into that case. Um, I even decompiled the source code of the game to take a look at what was going on behind the scenes. So be sure to go check that video out. And with all that being said, I will see you in the next case.